welcome to the Fresh Expressions Podcast Season 3. I'm your host, Heather Jalad. I'm a local church pastor and a cultivator of Fresh Expressions, new faith communities that strive to reach new people in unexpected places. In Season 3, we're opening our archive of a decade of useful training materials and sharing some of the talks and workshops that have inspired us over the years. This season is brought to you by FX Connect. FX Connect is an online community of church leaders who are reaching new people in new places and where you can find an entire library of practical and inspiring training materials. You can register for free today at fxconnectus.org. Hey friends, we are back with what I feel like I should be making like a big announce with a bonus episode, a bonus episode in this season of the Fresh Expressions podcast. Yes, we have heard from the awesome Dave Fitch already this season and we get to hear from him again in this episode. Dave Fitch will share about the practices that form a people for mission. Dave is the B.R. Linder Chair of Evangelical Theology at Northern Seminary. He is well known for his book, Faithful Presence, which he talks about in this talk. And he, um, and the seven practices of church on mission, which is kind of a, a more condensed version of this, this book. So in this talk, Dave lays out the significance of presence, practices, and places, and how we are, how we go about being the people of God, the church. He talks about the way God works is through presence, and this is indicative throughout the biblical narrative and reminds us of that. Um, If we don't get this right, he says that nothing else makes sense. He talks about the seven practices, those specific seven practices uh, that we need to open up space for the presence of God that is already there to be witnessed to. And then he talks about the three places in which to do that, um, reminding us of of those three places, those internal places like the church, the the inherited church, where Jesus is the host, our home places, uh, where the disciple where we are the hosts and in those public spaces where frankly we are the guest to recognize the presence of God to lift up the presence of God to be witnesses to the presence of God in those places and spaces hey there's a lot of questions and conversations and these talks over the course of this season what questions are you asking? What questions maybe were not asked in these talks? You can ask those questions and keep the conversation going over at fxconnectus.org. If you click in there and go to groups, there is a group related to this podcast titled Keep the Conversation Going. Pose your questions over there and let's keep talking about these Um, really important conversations around starting fresh expressions of church. Have a listen and I'll see you over there. I'd like to introduce three ideas. The three ideas are presence, practices, and places. Presence, practices, and 
places. Okay, so let's talk about the first one, presence. And if you got any question at all, that's halfway related to what I'm talking about. <laughs> let's open up space for discussion. But presence is the way God works. Presence. So literally, if, if you go from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, if you, this is crazy, but if you just open the Bible and put your finger on a page, you could find something there about the way God works in terms of his presence. It just fills the Bible. You know, I don't want to go through the whole litany because it's in chapter one of the big book, but think about the Garden of Eden built as a sanctuary for his presence. According to John Walton, Old Testament scholar, he wrote this book, Genesis 1, I think is what it's called. Um, and when uh, the fall happens, God says something like, uh, why are you hiding from my presence? Um, tabernacle is about presence. When, when, before the tabernacle, Moses up on the mountain after the liberation from Egypt, uh, the golden calf thing happens, and, and you all remember God's getting angry, and he says something like, I've had it with you. I'm out of here. Go on without me. And Moses says, we are not your people apart from your presence. And God relents and goes with. They build a tabernacle, a moving tabernacle to house his presence, his visible presence, his, the temple. Jesus comes as the culmination, God with us. Paul calls the church, the extension of Christ's presence, the temple of God in the world. You know, in Revelation 21, we're all heading. The new heavens and the new earth where there shall be no more temple. Because God fully dwells with humanity. Presence. So, so, if we don't get this right about presence, that this is the way God works, nothing else really makes sense uh, in terms of what I'm saying, in terms of practices, in terms of places. Presence. Somehow, in modern enlightenment, United States of America, we have become detached from being present one to another being present with our families around the tables, being present from people at work. We, we have, a, we have a, uh, a lunch with our boss and it's uh, power lunch, they call them power lunch. There's no presence there. We're gonna pump you up to do well in business. And so, but presence isn't like that. Presence is the space that's opened up. It's a relational space. I can no longer other you. I see you. I take the attention off of myself, my mind, and I cast my attention onto you. I pray, Lord, if we're Christians, we pray, Lord, be present in this moment. Help me to tend to what you're doing. Your name again? Sharice. In Sharice's life. Help me to be here for her. This is so life-changing. I mean, people are so hungering for presence in our culture. It's so earth-shaking. And then this space is opened up where God heals, God forgives, God reconciles. 
And yet, we are so distanced from one another in our culture. We have not made space for God to work. We're caught up in the machinery of business, the machinery of getting our kids to this program, that program, our machinery of running church. We do not have space for His presence. And here's the tragedy. God will not work apart from His presence. He will not coerce. He will not, he is, God is love. He will not barge in. We must make space for Him or else there is no presence. So, presence is the way God works. Um, A.W. Tozer from, from my own denomination used to distinguish omnipresence from manifest presence. Omnipresence, God is present everywhere at work. Everywhere. But manifest presence is where He becomes visible, powerful, concrete. Oh! And so the church is called to be His manifest presence. We are called to be in the world, making visible His presence for the rest of the world to be invited in. The presence, by the way, of God is the, the means by which He reigns, the means by which He rules. So, um, at the risk of getting too esoteric, um, the nation of Israel was ruled by, really, a mutuality of leadership in His presence. So they had judges, prophets, and priests. And there was a division of leadership there. And it was centered around the temple, his presence. But somewhere around 1 Samuel, Israel wanted a king like the Gentiles do. Remember that? And uh, Samuel goes, oh, Lord, they want a king. They want a king like the Gentiles do. This is so wrong. And God says something like, oh, give him a king as a concession. And tell them it's not going to work out too well. Right? So we always want a king. We want this kind of hierarchical, we want this, this, this coercive. We want to get things done. We want, we want to go around and tell people what to do. And I'm going to solve your problem. And blah, blah, blah. And actually, that's not the way God works. And the king thing was a big disaster for the nation of Israel. In fact, exile happened and they came back and the temple was rebuilt, but the kingship was not restored until Jesus is made king, and it's a totally different king. It's the king of his presence. Presence is the way God works. And so I was, I, we were talking about change in the previous session with Todd Bolzinger, and I can't remember if I said this, but I, I should have said it if I didn't. It's, it's like we're, we're in the midst of these big organizational churches that have 100, 100 years of history, and, and they're just running on machinery, and we need to make, find a way to make space for God's presence to work here again. And that, the way we do that is the way these practices, these simple practices. So, presence is, is where God works. The church, I, I like, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're ever, if you ever want to preach on this on Sunday morning, Ephesians chapter 1, the great ecclesiological chapter of the Bible. At the end, after this long, big, great speech by Paul, 
And he says God has put his power to work in Christ. By the way, whenever you read the word power, power, please don't, please don't read it in some kind of U.S. military. Don't let that narrative cloud your brain. Power for God is his presence in your life. It's amazingly powerful, but it is not the way the world works. Anyways, I dig digress. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. This, this gives me great comfort because I know that God is at work. His presence is at work in the whole world over all things. Wesleyans call that prevenient grace. It got a little individualized in some of the streams of Wesleyan holiness. Don't let that worry you. Prevenient grace. God is at work drawing all people to himself. When you walk into a bar, when you walk into a McDonald's, when you walk into a, a shelter, even if it's corrupt, a homeless shelter that's corrupt, there's plenty of those. Even when you walk into the houses of government, sometimes government is so screwed up, it's like worth just giving it a kick and, and hoping it goes away. Some of us might be feeling that right now as we are a few miles away from Washington, D.C. But I digress. Um, the, nonetheless, God is at work there. He just needs a witness. He just needs somebody to say, hey, God's at work. Did you see what he just said? Do you see what's stirring in you? Did you see what just happened between us? Can we enter in and let Jesus be Lord and do something here? He convicts the nations. Anyways, I can't all the word up. And then it says, and he has put all things under his feet and he's made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Please notice, fullness. The church is the fullness of everything that's going on. This is where the fullness happens. Fullness, uh, Marcus Bart, Ephesians commentary. It's a little bit old, but it's still the best. It says, Pleroma, in this case, is an allusion to the Shekinah, Glory of the temple presence. So, fullness. So he's at work everywhere. He is present everywhere. But here's where he is full. Here's where his presence comes to be made visible. Manifest presence. So folks, we need... I've already gone too long. I feel like swearing right now. That would not be, that would not be presence. That would be frustration with... The lack of presence. Uh, but um, what time is it? 344. Uh, we need practices. We need practices to open up space for his presence. It doesn't happen just like that. And so uh, I believe Jesus has given us seven practices. And each practice asks us to submit a group of people. It's always a group of people ask us to submit, to come together and submit to his lordship over our lives, to his reign in this place. And out of that mutuality and that submission, he promises to be present in a special, real way. Any of you, if any of you are Anglicans or Catholics, you know the sacramental <coughs> tradition. 
And these seven practices have their history in the sacraments. But what happened to the sacraments was, you know, the Lord's table is a practice where we all sit around and we do a few things. We give thanks. We open up our lives to the presence of Christ. We say the epiclesis, which is invoke the presence of Christ to be made real in this, in this meal. We, um, we do this thing called the words of institution, remember. On, on the night when he was betrayed, he said, remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance, I like to translate that. Be present to my presence. Not just do a little thing up here. Oh yeah, I remember. Boom. Boom, sugar, I'm done. No, be present to my presence. Um, and so uh, he's given us seven of these practices. In each case, so reconciliation. Are we aware that we, when we get into a conflict? <laughs> this is especially hard for me to remember when uh, I get into a conflict with my wife. You know, and, and I, can't really do, I can't really do the pastor thing. Okay, we have a conflict. Let's make space. You know, as a husband. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, if we, so if we are able to practice reconciliation, Jesus promises to be present. He says, whenever two or three gather in my name and agree after this process of reconciliation and agree, come to an agreement, uh, I am there in the midst. Roman Catholics believe specially there, sacramentally there. I believe he's specially there. And then these words of the kingdom, what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, what is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, these are the uh, keys to the kingdom that Jesus talked to Peter about in Matthew. They're the, they're the things that were given to us in the upper room. Uh, so send I you and what you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That the very tectonic plates of the universe are going to move when you enter into my presence. The kingdom shall come. It's conflict. It's reconciliation. Every one of these practices, uh, the church, over the course of its history, secluded them. They sequestered them into the four walls. A lot of people started coming into the church after Constantine, if you know the history of the European stream of the church, which is where this happened. And, and they had to organize these things really quickly and efficiently and get them done right. And I don't fault the Roman Catholics for doing that. I mean, hey... If you had 27 million Christians coming into your church, you'd have to organize real quick. It'd be a nice problem to have, but actually, you know, I don't know that we could have done a better job. Uh, but the fact is, we brought the Eucharist into the church, and it's only practiced by a priest. By the uh, 11th century, they only did the bread, they didn't do the cup, because the cup was kept for the priest. All sorts of weird things started to happen. And all I'm trying to say is, uh, if you read the, the scripture, eating and being present to Christ's presence was, was in all three places. So my next P and my last P is places. There's three places that we practice these ways of life. And they transform every place we go. Um, Acts chapter 2.
Acts chapter 2, you know, day by day as they spent much time together in the temple. I don't have anything to draw. Oh, I do have something to draw. Yeah. Uh, so this would be, and I think you've all seen my diagram before, and that's okay. Those are two candles and a cross, symbolic of the presence of Christ. But the temple was the, the close circle. I mean, you know the mercy seat you have to pass before you go into the temple? I mean, everyone's discerning their relationship to the presence of Christ and to his kingdom, and it's a close circle. The Anabaptists call it close, not closed. Somewhere along the line, um, the Catholics called it fencing the table. Some Protestant groups still call it fencing the table. I call it close. We are called to discern his presence. This is ground zero. Okay, but then it says, uh, they broke bread, they ate at home, from house to house. So, they, uh, this is the second circle. This is in the neighborhoods. Um, and, uh, I use a dotted circle with a house, but this really can happen anywhere. We have a garden group at our church, just starting, a woman that's into gardening. I'm not into gardening, so I do it in my house. Um, but, but in this home, we will meet and we will do, we will extend the presence of Christ into our home. We believe the presence of Christ does not just happen on Sunday morning around the table. It happens as we gather around a table in homes and in gardens and other places. When Christians gather, I mean, if you, if you eat a family meal, you probably still give Thanksgiving. You probably do a blessing. You, that's a, it's called Eucharist in the Catholic language. It opens you up to receive from God around this table. But also do an epiclesis. Do, Lord, we pray you be present around this table. And we pray, help us to tend to what you're doing in each other's lives. And then we'll say, and that's another form of words of institution, let us remember that you're present. In Jesus' name, for your kingdom, amen. And then we'll all eat, and we'll, we'll tend to one another. We will, if someone's getting out of line, we have a few rules. Don't, don't bring your cell phones, please. Don't look at your cell phones. We're tending to one another. Uh, everyone sits around the table. I don't care if we're 25 people. We'll have two rows, but we'll all sit around the table. We'll look at each other. Well, if someone starts getting loud and obnoxious and drawing all kinds of attention to himself or herself, we'll go, George, maybe you have a question for Judy. You know, this is non-coercive, ironic table fellowship. And we get to know each other and trust one another. This is just the practice of the kingdom. Then an hour or two, this is the way it's taken shape in our church, hour or two, dessert comes, coffee is made in the drip coffee maker, and we, I, or actually we have two other leaders now in my home, the goal is to replicate and have other leaders, so Charlie, I meet with Charlie every, not every, twice, twice a month at Golden Basket at 6 o'clock on Friday morning, I'm just telling you, I'm intentional. And we sit, how do you think it's going? What do you think we're trying to do here? Do you think we're sen are you sensing the Holy Spirit at work here? 
How do you know the Holy Spirit's at work here? How would you know where presence is? Well, you know, if we're distracted and Gordon's looking on his phone all the time, that's a sign we're not quite present. If uh, Fitch is drawing all kinds of attention to himself and saying too many jokes, that's a sign, Wait, we got, I think we got distracted. And I'll just coach, and we'll coach each other on how to guide the presence at the table. Folks, I tell you, this simple tending to the presence of Christ opens up space for discipleship, for people to deal with their issues in their lives and in their neighborhoods. From as much as, you know, uh, a woman uh, who has been on suicide uh, um, prevention in a hospital three times to somebody who's been uh, doing drugs, smoking pot, for years and not being able to get anywhere in his life. To, we've seen multiple issues discipled, worked out in miraculous form as we open up this space. It doesn't happen instantaneously. I must tell you, it, I must warn you, it'll take six months to a year to get that kind of trust. But do you remember, you remember how it was around that table when they got so close to one another that... Um, Judas couldn't handle it. He had to leave. And Jesus actually told Peter what he thought of him. Hey, dude, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not! Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth, man. You're going to do it. You're weak in this area of your life. What? And, or, 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 you know, Apostle John, whom Jesus loved, is, is resting his... This always made me feel a little uncomfortable... He's, he's resting his head on Jesus' breast. Okay, come on. Uh, uh, that's a little too close. But anyways, that was a joke. It was a joke for the men in the room. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when things get that intense and that trusting, God starts to work. That's the space of his presence. And then when things start to happen, neighbors start to notice. And that's why I have this, this, uh, this, these dotted there's these spaces for people to come and watch. I view uh, Mark chapter 6 as the paradigm of this happening in the, in the life of Jesus, but I, I won't go into it now because I want to get to actual conversation. The, the last circle is the half circle. This is the guest space. And I've gone through this so many times. I know so many of you have heard me do this a million times, and I don't want to bore you. Except that hearing me do it, Robin, hearing me do it 50 times, you know I can do it on the back of a napkin like it's nothing when you're talking to your pastors. So, anyways, somebody said repetition is like, um, I don't know what they said, but it was good, whatever they said. For me, I learned this at McDonald's. Now I'm at Potbelly Bar. I've seen us go, we have to go to places where the hurting are, and we have to be a guest. Luke chapter 10, Mark chapter 6. Here the disciple is the host, here we're guests. Here Jesus is, is the host. Um, and I, I just think of Mark chapter or Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus sends the 70. He sends them by two, not one, by two. You've got to be able to see. People get, to witness the gospel, you've got to see it happen between two people. God's presence at work between two people. Can't just go one. But it might take an apostle to go a place. So when I go to Potbelly Bar, I went there by myself just to be a guest. And three other guys 
at the church started to just come along and notice what was happening and join in with me. Now we have two to four people every Wednesday night at Potbelly Bar. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're limiting ourselves to two beers, especially me, and we're sitting there and we're praying the epiclesis and we're asking the Lord, be present in this place. Open up space for your kingdom. Relations, relational space is what I'm looking for. This place is an amazing place, which I'd love to go on. But everybody needs this place. And Jesus says to the disciples, go there without a purse. Don't bring money. Unless Potbelly Bar, you two bucks a beer. But other than that, don't go with power. Go there, sit, and eat what's set before you. Do, you are not in control. Go as lambs among wolves. Do not play the power games of the world. Be there, present. Allow me to break down the antagonisms and the issues in the world, the wolves. Don't buy into that. Look for a person of peace. Don't move from place to place. Be there long enough to know these people and then proclaim the gospel. You see how much space has to be opened up before we proclaim the gospel? And then he says, those who hear you, hear me. I'm there. Those who welcome you, welcome me. I'm there. Those who do not welcome you or reject you, reject me. The kingdom is breaking in. The kingdom. People are getting saved. Systems are being changed by Thomas. He doesn't know it yet. But Thomas is at our church. Thomas, if you're listening, you don't know it yet. But every zoning committee you go to, and we've got problems in our town, Space is being opened up for you to have conversations. Not, you are an idiot. You are making the biggest mistake. You're a bigot. You're a racist. You're blah, 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 and I reject you. No, we're not going to go at it like that. We're going to open up space. Why are you doing that? Why are you rejecting that restaurant in town? What kind of people are you saying don't belong in this town? Why do you say that? Can I introduce you? I'm trying to be not, I'm trying to be ironic. I'm trying to, I'm not naturally ironic. Can I introduce you to some of my friends? Can we meet at Potbelly Bar and just share a beer and talk about this? And you want to see change happen in a town? That's the way it's going to happen, through his presence. So we need to, be, we need to live these practices as a way of life. We need to be present here around the table. And what we learn here, we need to be here and we need to be here, present. We need to learn reconciliation as a church. And then we need to do it every day in our lives because who doesn't have conflicts every day regularly? And then we need to bring it to McDonald's. They had no idea. I've talked, you know, I have a, a few favorite stories, but there's hundreds. Well, that's an exaggeration. I'd say there's a hundred stories if I had kept a good log of all the brokenness that got reconciled because people had no idea you could do that. You could ask forgiveness and be forgiven and it would break down the walls of hostility and reconciliation that hadn't happened in years in my family or in my business or in my neighborhood or with my local village council is broken down. Kingdom's breaking out. Same way with being with the hurting, just being with people who are broken, hurting, homeless, poor, marginalized, and just sitting there, not trying to control, not trying to solve everybody's problem because you can't anyways because you're an idiot. 
if you just talk about myself. No, let God work. Just open up space. And watch how he talks, he speaks, he convicts, he moves in ways you, you were not expecting. And often you're the one that gets changed. All right, so presence. We need to understand this is the way God works both on Sundays and throughout the week. God in Christ through the disciples has given us seven practices to do that. I've talked about um, Eucharist or table. I have talked about reconciliation. I've talked a little bit about being with the hurting, but there are seven of them. You can read them. I, they're connected. They're sacramental, folks. Sacramental. And then um, places. Three places. I, I, when I was studying this and writing this and thinking it through, I was surprised. By the way, there's this guy named Andy McGowan, Yale Christian historian, who wrote the book Early Christian Worship. And um, I, I, just, I discovered a lot of these things in his book, uh, or at least confirmed them in his book, that there, are, that there are three places, three circles of the church's life that are lived in these ways. And so the question is, how do we lead our people into all three circles? <clears throat> I'm not going to give you all those answers. I've given you the skeleton of how, what I think the church is. I've given you, in, in seminary terms, I've just tried to s script a ecclesiology. So, half an hour. Questions. Um, I'd, rather ask I'd rather answer or talk practical questions about this from a question and answer perspective than giving you another half an hour lecture. What are the big questions or what are the big uh, insights that you get, if any, from this way of thinking about the church? Presence, practices, places. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like when you're when you're trying to move out from the traditional models of discipleship that are kind of inherently classroom and information yeah. heavy to a more relational type of of model of discipleship. Yeah. How does that can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Um okay, so for our church, this is the way it looks. But then let me talk about a Tampa church. Uh Eve, Evelyn is from that church that we heard open the session this morning. Our church, um, we, we have a teaching hour at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. <clears throat> and then we have a worship hour at 10.30. In the worship hour, we proclaim. I'm going to be talking about proclaiming the gospel tomorrow in a session. We proclaim the good news over people's lives and what he's doing in our neighborhood and ask people to join in. That's a little bit of an overly quick 
explanation, but I can, I'm, I'm going to do that tomorrow afternoon. But um, that's where our Bible work, our main Bible work is done. Intensely. Intense Bible study at 9 a.m. By the way, with breakfast, goodies, and coffee around a very, very large table. Um, and the kids have their catechesis at 9 a.m. I don't think that's that revolutionary. I think most churches have Sunday school. And, and then we have Bible proclamation, which I think is so important at the 10 a, 10.30 hour. Okay, now we don't have Bible study at our house fellowships, and I do not have a Bible study in McDonald's or Potbelly Bar. Actually, I mean, in the, in the yesterday's session was very interesting because Fresh Expressions a lot of times sees that when you go inhabit a place, there's a turn and you can start to open the Bible and have a church in this place. That's not in our horizon. It may happen when, let's say, 15 people get saved at Potbelly Bar and we ask the bar owner who, because I know him, he would never go for this. But can we, hey, can we, can we have church here? I don't know. 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? No way. But um, that's within the conceivable imagination, but it's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming for people to come from Potbelly Bar into our homes and into our eventually our close circle. And if our close circle gets to be 200, well, we'll break off and do another close circle somewhere else in town. Um, but but we, that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't come up on Friday nights at my house, and we have teachers there. Every, we, we, we know who the gifted people are, the teachers, the pastors. Believe me, we know who the pastors are. Uh, the people who are going to care for people when things get rough in our lives. And we know who the apostle is. It's me. I'm the guy who gets upset, you know, if people don't come. You know that person that takes attendance? I'm the guy who takes attendance. You promise you'd be, you know, whatever. But, uh, but the point is, if there's an issue here of discipleship, the teacher will bring teaching to the table and the pastor will bring pastoring and the evangelist we got next door neighbor who's struggling the evangelist cares about jay and it's a beautiful little microcosm of the church in mcdonald's um we had we had four guys come but i would always be the one to bring out the bible if there was need to be discerned in a certain situation in McDonald's. But we did not hold a Bible study. But we expect somebody, we expect the teacher's going to be there. If, if we go at least by twos, one of the two has to be a teacher, or at least have some knowledge of discernment. So it doesn't mean the Bible's not there and the Bible's not there. We just don't have a formal Bible study in those places. In Tampa, Florida, they have Bible studies. I think Tampa, Florida is a little bit more of a Christendom friendly place than Chicago. I think Tampa, if you, if you have a Bible and brew hour at the bar, people are going to, some people, a lot of people might actually think, oh, isn't that interesting? That's cool. If you do it in my bar, I think there's a good chance you're going to get thrown out or at least, or at least look down upon. Or what are you doing? What are you trying to do here? And I believe the guest position is very important. When, when, when Jesus went to Zacchaeus, house. He said, I will go to your house today. And the Pharisee says, look, he's going to be a guest at the Pharisees and publicans and sin no, no, not the Pharisees, the publicans and the sinners. 
Same way at the Levi. And, and salvation broke out because he was a guest. And when we start bringing out the Bible, okay, we're going to hold a Bible study every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, sponsored by such and such. There's a posture there that I believe forecloses people who have not yet overcome the distance. And they need trust. And they need to be discerned what's going on in their lives. So that's how I think it works in our church. Yes? So, just practically, what do you do when, they, when you gather at your house? I mean, you just conversation? If you don't do a Bible study, do you just, like, check in with each other? And how's life going this week? Okay, I thought I, I thought I went through it, but I went through it kind of fast. And so when I talk about it, it seems kind of obvious, so let's see if this makes sense. We start out with a, with a Eucharistic prayer. So at my house, it, my wife does it now. I am shamed by this, but she's a better organizer than me. Who's bringing this? Who's bringing the potatoes? Who's bringing the vegetables? Who's bringing this? Who's bringing the dessert, most importantly? Who's bringing the dessert? What's that? The whole meal. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we gather around the island, and we all hold hands. And... When, I, when it's at my house, and it's at my house most of the time, I ask someone else to pray. I often ask my son to pray, 13-year-old, um, just turned 13. And the um, last two years, he's gone, no, you do it, Dad. I don't show it. I don't let him know. But you're killing me, kid. Come on, I taught you how to pray. Okay, but that's not about me, Lord. I will eat. Anyways. But when our dog had a corn cob in his intestine and was going to die, then he prayed. Oh, did he pray? Oh, man. Lord! Lord, I give you my dog! Praise the Lord. Anyways, um, we gather around. Eucharist is Thanksgiving. I believe learning how to thank God opens our posture to receive what he's going to do. We take off control and we open ourselves up. Very important to do Eucharistic prayer. Then, epiclesis, Lord, be present. Help us to tend to your presence. Then, and then we give you thanks in the name of the kingdom. We submit to you, Jesus is Lord. Amen. And then we just sit around and eat, Every, the kids, everybody. Um, now, the goal here is to be present to what's going on in each other's lives. This is a lost art, but I don't allow people to start, okay, I shouldn't say that. I want to guide people away from obsessing about themselves and asking somebody else a good question. This is a good thing for kids to learn. And so the kids are around the table at this point. Um, so we learn about each other. We're simply there, present to each other. What's going on? How was that job problem this week? How, well, how did the week go? It's, it's just simple but intentional conversation. And then I said, when the, about an hour. By the way, I have a guide for this. It's six pages. If you want it, just email me and I'll send it to you. Uh, at our place, it's dessert and coffee. And I ask 
what we call a puzzling question. It's an up, in, or out question. We try to distribute it from week to week, not just so it's all about my personal relationship to God, the up question, or all about the neighborhood, the out question, or all about the in, our life together question. But we have that kind of a question. It leads into discussion, intentional discussion about what's going on in our lives. It goes on for an hour. By the way, this is so life-giving. I can't imagine life without it now. I can't imagine life without it. It's so empowering. And people know me, not as a pastor or a figure, but as a person and in my struggles. And hey, me and my wife can even talk about our marriage struggles. Actually, when we talk about our marriage struggles, other people talk about their marriage struggles. And we're able to normal, uh, normalize, socialize. Oh, you mean... You have that same fight too? Oh, you mean you didn't feel like, like hitting your wife over the head with a hockey stick? Oh, you actually worked it out this way? Oh, I never thought of that. And, and God starts to work as a community. I mean, people that were on the verge of divorce over stupid things see other people that have got through that same stupid thing 52 times around a table. At the end of an hour, we go into the living room. Kids, kids who are not willing or able to engage in adult conversation go play. We have the basement. There's rules for that. If you get in a fight, reconcile. Same seven practices. Be present to one another. Don't hit each other over the head with, with um, what do you call those guns with those Nerf guns, nerf, nerf guns, yeah, yeah, uh, and so uh, two hours in, we go pray. I give a little thing about, hey, we are submitting all things to Christ. We are putting them before him, the king of kings. We're opening up space for him to work in these things. What can we pray for tonight? We talk about our neighbors. We talk about issues in our town. We talk about issues in our personal lives, our jobs. We just lay it before the Lord for about a half hour. And, and I try to teach people, give it up. Don't control. If you're feeling an urge, I got to go. I got to go. How long is this going to last? Give it up. Submit even that into the presence of Christ. Allow Him to work. And then we close. And out of those moments, out of those that two and a half hours, again and again and again, Space is opened up for people to deal with their lives in one way or another, either in prayer time or especially around the table. And um, we pray for our neighbors, and now we're engaging our neighbors. Once every six weeks, we have a party where we invite our neighbors to come and join us. And we don't do the, six, the, the two and a half hour thing. We just sit around and talk. And that kind of builds curiosity and helps people see Christian life for real. That's, that's, that's the middle circle. And I have a six-page document that John Burbaum wrote up that took all these ideas and put them into one document. If you want, you can email me. Yes? Um, can you also uh, share some stories about the guest um, space where you're at a, at a public space and 
um, how do you encounter a person of peace? So, kind of cover, like what kind of questions or what what happens? So, can you share a story? By the way, I've put my, I think my ten best stories are in, okay. in the book. But that sure. that doesn't matter. If I repeat them, I may not repeat them. I may come up with another one. I look back at those days. Now I. I Potbelly Bar is starting to cook a little bit for me. But I look back at those days at McDonald's, and that's where I learned how God can work in ways if I can just be patient and just be present. So I'm a professor, a pastor. I, I have to write for a living, too. I, I shouldn't say it that way. I, writing is so beneficial in my life, but I feel like I have to too. It's part of the academic thing. Um, so I'm there for two, three hours every morning in McDonald's. I still go to McDonald's, but the present McDonald's I go to is different than the Rolling Meadows McDonald's. I still have some really good relationships in the McDonald's I go to, some wonderful ones, just by sitting there. This guy named Wayne and I are becoming tight. It's unbelievable. But, but the miracles I saw just by, there's not that many people going in and out like this Rolling Meadows McDonald's. So I, I uh, there's about 12 to 15 people without homes regularly go to Rolling Meadows McDonald's. There, there was a group of men <clears throat> all struggling at various stages of life that would meet in one other area over there in McDonald's. Then there was just a host of other characters that I would get to know. Doctors, I got to know a policeman. I got to know some holy roller, well, this is what the men over there call holy roller, Bible-banging Christians. And I got to see how, how the world sees the holy roller, Bible-banger dude come in, who, who he would come in and there'd be like, at any one given time, six to eight people without homes over here. And he would say, hey, can I buy you some breakfast this morning? <coughs> Lord bless you. Yeah, I'll take a, a number three sandwich uh, and, a, and, a, and a coffee with one cream. And he'd go get it. And he'd come back and say, and here's a tract for you. May God bless you today. And He'd go away and I, they'd all look at each other and chuckle a little bit. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, the guy meant well. Don't get me wrong. But the posture of guest was not there, right? Um, man, I could tell. But, but anyways, so one of my favorite stories that I illustrate what can happen is I got to know this guy without a home named Steve. And uh, if I'm on tape, I'll change. Uh, I always hate to use real names on tape, but uh, I'm going to switch the story to uh, Steve. Are you listening? I'm going to another story. George. Um, George hadn't seen his uh, family in 10 years, and it was Christmas time. And uh, after being around for a couple of years, he started pouring out his life. Haven't seen my kids in 10 years. It's going to be another Christmas. It's going to be so lonely. And I was listening to him, and I could, if you're at the grammar of the table, the first circle, you see that what God does his presence moves you towards forgiveness, you know, the broken bread. It move, he moves you towards reconciliation. 
If there's any enmity between you or anyone else in this room, do not come here before. Do not come to the table before making things right. But that's all part of the broken bread. <clears throat> Healing. <clears throat> in my church, they bring out the, the, the oil after communion because the cup represents this new relationship that's been broken open by Jesus Christ, by the shed blood, a new covenantal relationship with the Father through the Spirit to make all things right. And, and so you know he's moving everyone towards healing, and you begin to sense it. And I said to George, George, I think God is reconciling you to your family and your ex-wife. And, and he goes, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. I have a restraining order. I can't go within 100 yards of my wife. If I do, she'll start swearing. Call the cops on me. And I go something like, I quoted that verse out of 2 Corinthians, God is at work in Christ, reconciling all things to himself. And I believe he's reconciling you and your family. And I believe he's Lord over this whole thing. He's even working right now in your heart and in her heart. You don't know it. This is what, and I just said something like, can you, uh, can you receive that? And I remember the look on his face every time I tell this story. It's like he got illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. I can believe that. The imagination was opened. Why? Because the gospel was proclaimed. So... <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, next step. What's the next step? We wrote a letter to his ex-wife. I'm forgiven in Christ Jesus. Can you forgive me? And, and that set the wheels in motion. One year later, he's with his family for Christmas. Two years later, I walked in. This is after I'd moved to Westmont, came back, walked in, asked Tommy Maloney where he was. He said, ah, George got a job. Tommy Maloney was famous for saying, George will never get a job. So we break open that reconciliation and it leads from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Can we be present long enough in people's lives amidst all this brokenness to bring the healing of the presence of God? Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we live, eat, work, and play by leveraging the creativity and endurance of the inherited church. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressions.com backslash how to start. Season three is brought to you by FX Connect, an online community full of other church leaders passionate about reaching new people in new places. Access our entire library of practical and inspiring training materials and connect with other church leaders at fxconnectus.org. Season three of the Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by me, Heather Jalad. It's edited and produced by Jeanette Statz, 
Kathleen Blackie, and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you have learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and salvation among all nations.